My name's Phil, if you've not met before, it's great to see you. And we are carrying on in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, page 1154. 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Now, um, this section is all about gifts. Um, So, God has given to the church uh, gifts, abilities, skills, things that we have so we can serve each other as a body, as a family. Um, but the Corinthians have kind of got an issue with gifts. They're basically obsessed by them. They're really obsessed by gifts, and some particular gifts uh, are that. And in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is focusing on love as the most important thing. We saw last week that it's not so much about what you do, but about how and why you do it. Having the impulse of love being the most important thing. And so we're slap bang in the middle of a section where Paul is talking a lot about love and why it is what he calls the most excellent way, the way we need to live as a church. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, from verse 8. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Augustus Gloop, Veruca Salt, Violet Beauregard, and Mike TV are four of the children from the story Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And they're the kids you don't like. There's Charlie, of course, who everyone really likes. But Augustus, Veruca, Violet and Mike are just horrible. Now, they get invited to um, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Um, and they're just, they're just greedy, which is the reason we don't like them. Okay? So they, they see the chocolate pool. and they, uh, So Augustus Gloop is he? he sees the chocolate pool, he dives right in, and then he gets sucked up a tube and gets stuck there. Okay? He's so greedy, he just goes for the chocolate. And then the others do similar things, and they get kind of literally quite sticky ends to their stories. But Charlie, he's different. He's kind of really humble and really patient, and he waits, and he waits, and eventually... He gets given the whole factory. Ooh, good one for Charlie. So the kids, though, are really horrible because they're so greedy and they just grab what's in front of them. Now, what difference do you think it would have made to those greedy kids if they'd known that if they just waited like Charlie, they could have inherited the whole factory? It would have made all the difference to their greed, wouldn't it? Augustus Gloop would have held off jumping in the chocolate pool because he knows if he just waited, he could have had the whole place. Now, the attitude that the kids have in this story can be summed up as this. Everything now, to steal an arcade fire lyric, okay? Everything now, that was their attitude. If if what you want is in front of you, you've got to take it now. Because now is all there is, there's no future, so go for it. 
And that's an attitude we can be quite familiar with in our lives. Everything now. This is the moment for that promotion. It's now or never. If you don't take it now, you're going to be missing out. You don't want to miss out, so take it now. And so we have work cultures where we trample on each other to get that promotion because now is all there is. Or maybe now is the, the moment for that purchase. You know, It's now or never. Take out the loan, spend the money you don't have. It doesn't matter because you don't want to miss out. So you've got to get it now. Everything's now. And the attitude of everything now can actually creep its way into church. Sadly, in, in church, we do things like put each other down. We, we try to get noticed. We have some people feeling really proud of themselves in church and what they do. Some people feeling really crushed, like they're useless. What leads a church to have those kind of dynamics? It's this attitude of everything now. We've got to get noticed and have the top spiritual experience and be kind of seen as useful in church now because now is all there is. And Paul spots this attitude of focusing on now in the Corinthians. And in these verses, he tries to do something about it. See, the Corinthians are like the kids in the chocolate factory. They're not greedy for chocolate. They're greedy for gifts. Like I said, these gifts, which are abilities that God gives us to help each other in church. And they're especially greedy for the gift of tongues. And next week, we're going to be learning more about that. But in this section, Paul wants to really get under their skin and go, okay, why is it that you're greedy for gifts? What's going on? Why do you struggle to love? It's this attitude of everything now. Now, in verse 12, you, you see this contrast between now and then. Just, just have a look. For now we see in reflection as a mirror, then we'll see face to face. Now in part, uh, and then fully known. We'll get to the details of that verse later, but I just want you to see there's the now then, now then stuff. So before we can get into the details, we need to see um, what Paul means by now, and the everything now thing, and then. So have a look at this. It's a timeline for you. Very exciting diagram. Right. This is to help us understand where we are in kind of the Bible story. So uh, Jesus came, he was born at Christmas, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose again, and then he ascended to heaven to, to be with his father. And we live in this bit in between, what we call, what Paul's calling now, while we wait for Jesus to come back, which is what he calls then. So now is while we, Jesus is in heaven, he's not here, we're waiting for him to come back, and the then, the future, is when Jesus comes back and completes everything. All the, the, the reconciliation, the salvation, the fixing of the world that he started at the cross and the resurrection, then... He's going to complete. In fact, have a look at verse 10. We get this language. When completeness comes. When Jesus comes back. Okay? So that's the now and the then that we're talking about. But the Corinthians, they can't see the future then. In chapter 15, we get loads of this. They're not even thinking about then. All they see is now, and now means gifts. But since all they can see is now, all they can see is gifts. Now, if you think about it, their obsession with gifts actually makes sense if it's true that everything's now. I mean, who wants to miss out on spiritual experiences like visions or speaking in tongues? Who wants to be the one in church with those unimpressive gifts that no one notices? 
Not me, because this is it. Everything's now. I, I don't want to waste my precious time on having the gift of helpfulness, which is one of the ones that Paul talks about. Gift of helpfulness. That's hard work. Everything's now. This is all we've got. I want something more spectacular. Did you know that there's a Sermon of the Year award? In fact, I know you don't know there's a Sermon of the Year award because none of us were nominated for Sermon of the Year. <laughs> it's a bit weird having a Sermon of the Year award, isn't it? And no one gets nominated for Helper of the Year, do they? Or Most Hospitable Member of Church of the Year Award, snappy. And so we think, well, why would you waste your time on those kind of gifts? They're not going to get you awards. Everything's now. Go for the big ones. Paul says, no, you see, now is not all you've got. And realising that is key to becoming a church who can stop obsessing over gifts and abilities and be liberated to love. Remember this section is Paul saying, the most excellent way is love. So Paul, in this section, gives three kind of contrasts about now and then, which are going to destroy an everything now attitude and free us up to love. Three contrasts between now and then. First up, gifts go and love lasts. Gifts go, love lasts. So look at verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So he says, love never fails, but prophecies and these other gifts, they're going to cease. Gifts are going to go, but love lasts. Paul shows that love is the most excellent way because we can love now, we can get on with that now, in this bit in the middle, and it's going to endure into then, into eternity. I want you to imagine that Paul takes us along a shopping aisle to buy some spiritual gifts. He's in the gift section, right? And he picks up a, a tin, uh, a spiritual gift tin, Ah, oh, this, one's, this one's called prophecy. Prophecy, uh, Being able to yeah, kind of speak powerfully with spiritual insight into people's life uh, from God. Oh, oh, it's got a sell-by date. Oh, when Christ returns, it's going to go off. Okay. Next one. Uh, let's have a look at this. Tongues. It, it kind of angelic language. It's spiritual language in prayer. Very, very popular. Bestseller in Corinth, this one. Oh, it's got a sell-by date. The return of Christ. Okay. Uh, what is it? What's the next one? Knowledge, knowledge, okay. Our level of knowledge of God, our depth of insight in, in, into God now. People can feel pretty smug about this one. Ah, it's got a sell-by date at the return of Christ. Okay, what's the last one? Love. Yeah, not many people want to buy this. Store in a cool, dry place. Lasts forever. Lasts forever. Love never fails. So you tell me which one is most valuable. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Love's the only one that's going to last forever. We will spend eternity loving each other, loving God, and enjoying his love for us. He will sing over us. But in everything now attitude, doesn't care about forever, and so it doesn't care about love, which is forever. See, the fact is that love just doesn't come with the same kind of prestige and kudos in our churches as things like being an eloquent preacher or having leadership responsibilities, being on a platform, being able to do miraculous things like healing. They're impressive to us. 
And if you need everything now, then those are the gifts you're going to go for more than love. But Paul says, no, no, turn the tin around, look at the cell by date. These gifts are good now, they're important now, but they're going to go. But when Jesus returns, preachers are going to get fired. I'm going to be out of my job. You're not going to need me to teach you. We're going to lose our jobs. People who speak in tongues won't be able to anymore in the sense that we will all have perfect ability to sing and pray to God in the spiritual way. Healers aren't going to need to heal because Jesus is going to come and complete everything and fix everything. No more healing needed. All going to be done. Gifts are going to go. Now these gifts we have now are good. Paul's not saying they're not important. But the reason we need them now is Jesus hasn't come back yet. So he gives us these gifts so we can actually help and look after each other while we wait for him to come back. But look at verse 10. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. The gifts will go. Gifts are part of this in part life now before the completion of Christ's return. But love lasts. It won't go. So love is worth investing your time and passion and energy into now because love will last forever. Now I've got a confession that I've never really liked 1 Corinthians 13 very much and all this stuff about love. Maybe it was as a teenage boy. It was all like love and like love hearts and stuff. And everyone's like, 1 Corinthians 13 is so beautiful. And I used to be like, "Mm, it's just a bit fluffy and stuff. But the quality of this love isn't fluffy, ephemeral, flimsy love. It's more robust, more enduring, more incorruptible than anything else on earth. It's love which sent Jesus to the cross to die for you and me. That's not airy-fairy. That's gutsy, hard-wearing, eternal love. So take a good look at your gifts. What are they? What is it that you do well to help the church? Hospitality, helping, encouraging, organization, teaching, healing, tongues. What is it? Now, do you see the sell-by date? It's good, but your gifts are going to go. Now take a look at the gifts you don't have but you wish you had. Think of that person in church who you just think, I wish I was them. They are just so useful. Look at the gifts. Do you see the sell-by date? Their gifts are going to go. In heaven, we won't care about those gifts. No one's going to be impressed anymore about those things. They'll be gone. Now take a good look at love. Quiet, unrecognized, unrewarded, undesired love. Being patient with people, being kind, forgiving, protecting, hoping, trusting. Do you see its durability? Do you see that love is the thing we can all do right now, no matter what gifts we have, and we will all do forever? Now, when you see love that way, as the one thing that lasts forever, then you pursue that with all your might instead of getting greedy for gifts. Do you see? The attitude of everything now makes us think that we need those best gifts now or we're missing out. It makes us jealous of each other. It makes us snap at each other. If you wonder why you might snap at another Christian, it's because you feel like maybe you're being overlooked or undermined. See, everything now suffocates love. But when we see these gifts are going to go, 
just means we can just relax a little bit about ourselves. We don't need to get what we want and do what we want all the time. Because ah, those gifts are going to go one day. See, we just chill out a little bit. And actually then that leaves room to love. That grip of needing spiritual success now is lifted and we're liberated to actually love each other and say, you know what's more important? You first. How can I help you? Gifts go, love lasts. Now in the middle of this section, Paul drops in an image uh, that I think really takes the Corinthian view of everything now down a peg or two. Paul basically says, church and gifts now, well this is what it is. It's primary school, and then is adulthood. Now is basically primary school. Then is adulthood. Have a look at verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. By the way, primary school for American friends. Is that elementary school? Yeah, okay, great. There you go. Contextualization. Okay. Primary school, little kids, adulthood. There's a difference between how you behave as a child in primary, elementary school and life when you grow up. There's kind of a, just a child way of doing things and then there's maturity. Now where do the Corinthians think they are spiritually? School or adulthood? Adulthood, right? They think they've reached a kind of spiritual maturity. They think they've arrived with their tongues and their prophecies and their gifts and their knowledge. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Now is like being a child. And when Christ comes back, that's when you reach mature adulthood. And when you're an adult, he says, you leave those things behind. Look at the end of verse 11. When I became a man, an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Uh, Paul used to talk like a child, thought like a child, reason like a child. But now he's an adult. He doesn't do that anymore. And as we've just seen, when we reach that completeness in Christ's return, we won't do the old stuff, gifts anymore. Adults don't behave like children. They shouldn't do anyway. Christians, we don't, um, Christians won't need the gifts that we have now. Now, I also think that Paul is being quite deliberate in picking this image of childhood to really get to the Corinthians and expose their attitude. He's saying this, guys, you think your gifts are all that. But they're spiritual primary school. It's like you're 10 years old and you think you've peaked in life and you're about to write your memoirs. You haven't even been to secondary school yet. You think everything's now, everything's primary school level and you've no idea that adulthood is coming and you're going to leave this behind. don't know how much you remember of primary school. Do you remember how you used to talk at primary school? Miss, you stole my rubber. I'll batter you. That's, sorry, I'm from Hull in Yorkshire. That's, I'm going to fight you. I'll batter you. That's just how you talk. Do you remember how you used to think and reason as a child? I remember the day when me and my friend Richard Prime got Pupil of the Week award. It was a very special day. I was five and I can remember it vividly. It was in assembly and we got called up to the front and I got the red shiny sticker. It was magnificent for a five-year-old. I don't now consider getting Pupil of the Week award to be the highest achievement of my life. That's how I thought when I was five, but not now that I'm an adult. 
but the Corinthians with their everything now attitude are stepping over each other to get people of the week award or for them most gifted church member award or most tongue spoken award that's what they're after and Paul says our gifts are good our gifts are important but one day we'll grow up and we're going to leave them behind so don't be a kid who doesn't realise that the point of being a child is to get ready for adulthood and what will we do in adulthood? the most excellent way love Love never fails. True spiritual adulthood, graduation, is being loving. So that means as spiritual children now, the way we can begin acting like mature Christians, adults, is to begin loving. That's what we're going to do in eternity when we're spiritual grown-ups. It's a helpful dose of humility to think of church now as primary school. Think of the most impressive Christian gathering you've ever been to. Maybe a church service or a festival or a conference, something like that. Uh, think of the, the worship band. Awesome worship band. And the, and the speaker with his Britney mic. These Britney mics, they just do things. They're, and they're like uh, New York Times best-selling authors or whatever. Think of the, the genuine and, and good experience of God maybe you enjoyed in that moment. Now picture all that and all those people doing the same thing but in a primary school hall. Do you remember primary school halls with the really shiny brown floors? Why were they so shiny anyway? Imagine that spiritual moment, but with eight-year-olds in the worship band and a little gangly nine-year-old giving the keynote talk. Do you see, it just kind of puts it into perspective. This stuff really wows us now, but Paul would say, that's really good, but it's primary school compared to what's to come. And the same goes for us, the Globe Church. All that we do now really matters. The ways in which you serve with your gifts really matters. But in the light of what's to come when Christ returns and we live and worship together in the new creation, this, this is primary school in comparison. So that should humble us and give us some perspective. We might think we're all that at Globe Church with our web apps and our ministries and you might feel all that with the ways in which you contribute to the church and it's all good and it's all important but it's all primary school compared to what the Globe Church will do when we worship perfectly in the new creation. Gifts go. Love lasts. Now's primary school. Adulthood is coming. So, Paul's given us this healthy dose of reality about now. He's exposing the the silliness of an everything now attitude, that it suffocates our love. But what is the future going to be like? What's it going to be like? Well, in verse 12, we get those now and then contrasts that we looked at briefly earlier. Let's have a look at verse 12 again. Now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. Paul is talking about our experience of God. He talks about it in terms of seeing God and knowing God. He's talking about our relationship with him. And the Corinthians felt like they'd reached their fullness of their experience with God. They had deep knowledge, they spoke a heavenly language of tongues, they felt connected to God. In terms of their experience of God, they had already had everything now. And Paul says that they have no idea, 
just how vast the difference is between our experience of God now and what it will be then. Now it's God in part. Then it will be God in full. The first image that Paul uses is saying, now we see God as in a mirror. That's the example he gives in in verse 12. We see only reflection as in a mirror. I don't think you've ever thought about this, but um, you have never seen yourself. You have never seen yourself. You've only ever seen a reflection of your face or, or a photo of yourself. Unless you've gone with your eyeballs and turned them around and somehow been able to... You have never actually seen yourself, which is slightly disconcerting. It could all be a... A ruse. Anyway, mirrors, though, are decent enough. And in Corinth, they were actually well known for having amazing mirrors and things. But as good as mirrors are, they're not the real thing. As good as your photo of your long-distance boyfriend or girlfriend is, it's not the real thing. And it'd be weird if you thought it was. Don't bother coming to visit this weekend, darling. I'll take your photo out to dinner. The relationship would end soon after that. Now, as good as our sight and experience of God is now, we don't actually see him, do we? We never directly see God with our own eyes. We read about him. We sense him. We love him. Our experience now is real. Our relationship now is real. But it is like the image in a photo. We don't see face to face. So thinking that we've arrived in our experience of God like the Corinthians do is like taking the photo out to dinner and saying, hey, that's it, this is my girlfriend. But one day, with these eyes, you will see God Almighty if you're trusting in Jesus. You'll see him in all his radiant majesty and beauty face to face. And that experience will blow your socks off. The old hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, who wrote um, hymns like To God Be the Glory, things like that, she had a six-weeks-old inflammation of her eyes, um, and they treated it with mustard patches, which uh, wrecked her optic nerves and blinded her. But she had this really incredible way of talking about her blindness. This is what she said. When I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour the first thing she would ever see with new eyes would be Christ. Everything now? No. One day we're going to gaze into the eyes of Jesus. What about our knowledge of God? Paul says, look at verse 12. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Get this. Even as I am fully known. Oh, I want to preach a whole sermon on that verse. We're not going to. Do you notice how Paul switches from talking about we to I? He's, he's like, uh, we see, but then he goes, uh, talks about I know in part. Paul says, I know in part. What do you reckon Paul's kind of progress bar of knowledge of God would be? Like 50, 60, 70% knowledge of God? Hands down, knows more than any of us. But he says, I know in part. What's our knowledge of God? I don't think it would register 1%. How can a little mind of a creature comprehend an infinite creator God. Imagine the knowledge of God, all that is to be known about him, to be the books in the British Library. There are around 25 million books in the British Library. Imagine that that's all there is to know about God. Of course, there's an infinite, but anyway, go with it. It's a lot, 25 million books. 
our knowledge of God is like finding one room in the British Library full of books and then going to one shelf, taking off one book and turning to one page, then going down to one paragraph, finding a sentence, then a word, and then a letter in that word, and then finding one little millimeter of that one letter, and that would still be too much to describe the extent of our knowledge of God. We know God truly, we really do, but we know in part. And the Corinthians think they've got all the knowledge now, and we get impressed with clever sermons, and we get smug with that really great answer we gave at Focus on Wednesday. Or we feel inadequate because we feel like, oh, we don't know as much as everybody else about God. But that's to think that everything's now. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known by God. Our knowledge of God then, Paul says, will be as full as God's knowledge of us now. Wow. I don't know how many hairs are on my head. God does. I don't know why I am the way I am, but God does. I don't even remember all that's happened to me. I don't even remember this morning, but God sees it all. God knows me more than I know myself, but this knowledge is a love. His knowledge of me as I'm his child because of Jesus is full and rich and intimate. And Paul says, one day I will know God like he knows me, full rich and intimate. When we get to heaven, our minds and our hearts will be overwhelmed with a deep flood of knowing and enjoying God. Everything now, we have no idea how much awaits us. So this future experience of God should puncture any inflated sense of our knowledge of the Bible or experience of God now. Know and enjoy God now, yeah, but with a humility because one day every single one of us, without exception, through Christ, will enjoy him in unimaginable fullness forever. Kanye West tweeted the other day, a lot of things, but he said this, love is the most powerful force in the universe. Very good, Kanye, very good. He's been reading 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 13 brings us right back to where we started, the enduring, powerful force of love. Verse 13, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul says, okay, so what now remains for Christians. To be a Christian now is all about faith in Christ, being certain of what we do not see, putting all our trust in him. Being a Christian now is all about hope, longing for that future day when Christ will return. And it's all about love, being loved by God and loving each other. But then we get this final little punch. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because, first point, because love lasts. When Christ returns, our faith will turn to sight, our hope will be fulfilled, but we will always love and be loved by God, and God will always love. That's why it's the greatest. It 
endures, it never fails. So let me ask as we finish, is that your view of being a loving Christian? That being loving is the greatest thing that you could be? Is, or is your vision stuck on now so you don't have any time for love? Perhaps we need to ask God's forgiveness for being so focused on now that we've just got no time for love. Think about what would have happened if Christ had lived an everything now kind of way. And everything now attitude would have stopped Jesus going to the cross. You do know that. He would have stopped short of the cross. He would have grabbed the glory he rightly and could have had now, avoiding all the shame and pain of the cross. Everything now, why, why go through that? And an everything now attitude will stop you and I from being loving and following Christ's example of costly love. But to Christ, love is the greatest. And that future joy, hope of redeeming us was better to Jesus than all he could have grabbed now. And so he did the most loving thing the world has ever known. And he went through the cross for the joy set before him, for all that he has given us. So Globe Church, will we lift our eyes off now and be a church who see the greatness of the way of love, love which lasts forever? Let's pray and ask God's help to make us this kind of people. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your love, your love which never fails. Father, we want to start by saying sorry that we're not always this kind of church. We're sorry for our obsession with now, with getting what we can, with being impressive. That even when we feel inadequate, that's kind of a backdoor way of wanting everything now. We're sorry that we lack this perspective, this eternal way of viewing things. Please forgive us. Thank you that you do because of Jesus. And we need help, Lord. I I just confess that I um, really struggle to think about eternity and to even imagine what it's going to be like. I struggle to take my eyes off what's happening just right in front of me. But I pray that you would lift our eyes as a church to see the beauty of love as this beautiful, robust, enduring, glorious thing which you call and invite us to take part in. Thank you that you loved us first, but now we get to take part in that love. So pray, Lord, that you'd help us as a church to have that humility and awareness of who we are and where we are and what time it is and look forward to then when we, as a church family, will see you face to face. May that day change everything about how we live now. In Jesus' name, amen.